0: Welcome back to this week's episode of The Security Token Show. I'm your host, Kyle Sondland, joined by my co-host and business partner, Herwig Konings. And we are here for another amazing episode in sunny Miami, Florida, talking everything blockchain and investment banking. But before we dive into the show, I do want to thank our sponsor, USPC. USPC. United States Property Coin. It is the future of real estate investing and the future is on chain. The United States Property Coin or USPC is a cryptocurrency project backed by physical real estate assets located in high demand markets throughout the US and is sponsored and funded by Premier, which is a leading real estate investment development and management firm based in Southern California. USPC's mission and vision is to provide investors with a more transparent, liquid, asset-backed digital currency solution. We're talking security tokens, people. And they're designed to provide fractional ownership to a diversified portfolio that is expected to benefit from long-term income generation and appreciation of real estate assets, ultimately functioning as a more reliable store of value and medium of exchange. So shout out to USPC. You can check it out at USPC.io. You can join our community and sign up there and uh, also you can find them on
1: twitter uspc so check them out thank you to them of course thank you the security token show would not be possible without sponsors like usbc go check them out and of course we've got an amazing show lined up for you today the latest security token news including the top five things you need to know in just a minute followed by the latest security token offerings happening in the space an update on, of course, what's happening in the secondary market, followed by an inside look in the metaverse. When our main topic today, Kyle, I'm very excited. We're gonna be talking about something that might be a little less sexy than most people, but smart contract vulnerabilities. They're a real thing in the blockchain. And shout out to JC Keenan and our community who requested this topic. So with that, Kyle, I think we can head right into the top five. Let's
2: do it.
0: And kicking off our top five, our number one headline, Security Token Markets crowdfund launch
1: is officially live on Securitize. Love it, absolutely love it. It's the first Web3-enabled investment. That means you can use USDC on Avalanche to invest in Security Token Market, the parent company behind the show. You can check it out only at Securitize.
0: Congratulations to the whole team. Shout out to everyone involved. And that is just amazing news. But going into number two, we have FTX and BlockFi. We covered it last week on our main topic. You should go check that out. But if you didn't know, the deal was officially finalized this week after that episode came out. We have a new update, and that is that BlockFi has secured a $400 million credit line directly from FTX. But in exchange for that, they had to take a significant haircut on their valuation, which not only was just an evaluation, but it's actually an option to acquire a $240 million, which is a 20th of the $5 billion equity valuation that they raised
1: at just 12 months ago. Wow. Well, that is definitely something a good deal for FTX. But I guess for the other investors, something maybe better than nothing at mm. all. And of course, again, that breakdown, if you're fully interested on in what FTX is up to, go check out last week's main topic for the full breakdown. And now for number three, Solana, one of the most popular blockchains, especially for NFTs, uh, is under fire lately as they received their first lawsuit regarding their soul coins being issued as securities and that they violated, uh, you know, securities laws as unregistered mm. securities. Now this is super interesting because, of course, Solana Labs, the foundation, many others were uh, included in the lawsuit, including Multicoin, which is actually a major VC firm and a a presumably investor in Solana Labs. Uh, And again, the lawsuit cites that in this case, Solana Labs is a common enterprise and that there was an investment through Solana Coin Uh, for the uh, act of investment by investors and the expectation of profits as a result of that. So three prongs right there that make you think, "Uh uh-oh, is this a security? And according to this lawsuit out of California, it is. And they even cited... The Reg D investments that was earlier done presumably with multi coin and other venture capitalists saying that this was proof that they went to others outside of the public to get them early access to an investment opportunity definitely could have some interesting ramifications but at the same time as we know there are many lawsuits of similar sorts uh and some of them have had less success or more success than others we've been
0: saying it all along just do a security token and all these problems go away number four nomura and sbi two of the largest banks in the APAC region and in Japan specifically, both over hundreds of millions of dollars, or billions of dollars, excuse me, in assets under management, these firms are huge. And they are now investing in Web3 tokens. They came out and said that, look, they're not going to sit on the sidelines if the only way to get investment into the Web3 is through tokens, they're gonna be there leading the charge. We know that they've explored security tokens in the past. They've been very active in blockchain for financial securities and financial services infrastructure. So it leads one believe that they may eventually be investing in security tokens as well. I love
1: this news. In fact, my company of the week last week was ODX, uh, which is the latest exchange, the private exchange to hit Japan and SBI and Nomura are both behind that. And they both say, of course, they love security tokens, they said. Fact in this press release that you have to be ready to be able to invest in web three companies because presumably they're going to use web three methodologies to fundraise for their business. Super cool news. Last but not least, Vertalo and AltStock Co. They have partnered up. Vertalo will be their partner to help their reg deplacements placements into a variety of different products. We got crypto, NFTs, music rights, real estate, and more. Uh, and now they, of course, have already a huge Investor base that are, are invested in these assets and now they need help getting liquidity They're going to be leveraging for Talos platform for cap table management for tokenization and issuance and of course that pipeline into an alternative trading system, a broker-dealer marketplace where they can hopefully find liquidity for the investments that have gone through the Altsco platform. So that's another awesome partnership. Now uh, we can expect many more tokens to hit the market soon. Congratulations to
0: our top five and now it's time to get into the rest of the industry news with John Pittman.
2: Thanks for the handoff, fellas. I'm John Pittman here with your industry news from last week. So let's get you going. Starting with Britain's Investment Association, who last week Thursday called for the government and regulators to go ahead and give the green light for tokenized funds in an effort to make illiquid assets more accessible for retail buyers. In a statement, the association said the government and financial conduct authorities should establish a framework for tokenized funds to operate. So far, investors have since last year been able to buy tokens in a fund managed by private equity firm Partners Group through the Singapore Digital Securities Exchange, ADDX. However, the Global Financial Stability Board has warned that tokenization still leaves retail investors exposed to any underlying illiquid assets, such as commercial property and private equity, which are hard to get out of in a hurry if prices fall. Moving on to the list of countries looking to make significant progress, we have Ghana as the latest African country to begin testing the viability of its CBDC. South Africa and Ghana are now the only African countries at the pilot stage of the process after Nigeria lost her own in October of 2021. The governor of the Bank of Ghana, his name is Ernest Addison, has listed financial inclusion as his top objective and chose to test the CBDC in an area where there is little to no connectivity infrastructure. He says, digitizing the offline transactions of rural and frontier households holds the key to creating the necessary market linkages that can result in access to finances in the future. So he said that during the country's sixth CEO summit a month ago. But on the opposite side of the spectrum, we have Denmark's national bank questioning if CBDCs are even worth it. The central bank also stated that while it is open to new forms of digital money and will organize a conference on the subject in Q4 of 2022, Denmark's financial system does not have any pressing need for them right now. For CBDCs, the central bank pointed out that the key motivation for central banks exploring them, especially in the European Union, is for retail CBDCs to act as a trust anchor for digital money once cash disappears. This motivation simply just isn't there for Denmark as a country as they are already a leader in using digital money. And lastly, to finish up, but in a somewhat related news manner, we have our own country, the US, also showing some hesitancy source towards developing CBDCs. What makes me say that? Well, for one, the Federal Reserve is shy on information and not revealing the progress that they've made on the matter. At a conference last week, the Fed's made a statement that the technology by itself would not lead to drastic changes in the global currency ecosystem. The idea that countries could go cashless while also enhancing security and speeding up payments may just be a dream further away since the central bank of the world's biggest economy pretty much confirmed that there wasn't a hurry to start using CBDCs. But I'm here to confirm that Meg is up next with you with her STO updates, and I will see you guys on the other side of the blockchain.
3: Hello, tokenizers, and welcome back to STO updates. We have a very exciting announcement this week that you may have heard of. Security Token Market's security token offering is live on Securitize. Security Token Market, a media studio and data analytics company focused on building financial infrastructure to support the growth and development of the security token industry, is excited to announce the first of its kind Web3-enabled tokenized crowdfunding campaign. Investors can utilize the Avalanche platform to sign smart contracts on the blockchain using their wallet address instead of traditional physical signatures. This makes it transparent and scalable. Investors will additionally have the option to hold tokens in their MetaMask wallet. You can find out more information on securitize.io, all of the details, or check out the press release on PR Newswire, Bloomberg, Crowdfunding Insider, and others. Next up, we have Oil Club. Oil Club is a smart contract miner that adheres to the oil and gas sector's norms. Club members can earn up to 14% in daily prizes and engage in continuously developing techniques to maximize earnings based on market conditions. Zion Energy pioneered the notion of oil sector tokenization through the Zion Coin Security Token offering. Zion Energy founded Energy Tokens in 2019 in conjunction with renowned blockchain data analytics, tokenization, regulatory, and trading experts to build the Energy Tokens asset trading platform. The Energy Tokens asset trading platform uses permissionless based blockchain technology to tokenize ownership in energy producing assets. Oil Club is a distinguished initiative in the category of oil because they utilize an optimized smart contract validated by the detection of algorithmic flaws in prior projects, ensuring assured contract growth and stability. Oil Club smart contracts does not provide you with actual oil barrels or, or oil wells or land to own. It may provide you with reliable returns ranging from 8 to 14% daily, provided you follow the rules. This is sourced from Oil Club and the release on Global Newswire, where you can learn more. Till next week, tokenizers, let's send it over to Sam Sachs. Hello and happy Monday!
4: The security token mark cap is now trading at over $19 billion dollars. But before we throw a celebration, we must dive into the over 30% week-over-week week increase and figure out the source. I'll give you the answer, a Negra Group token. In 2011, Anegra identified an opportunity to apply its expertise in finance, trade, and logistics to reduce the risk of sourcing and trading commodities from emerging economies. Applying this approach to the global, com- global commodities coal market, By refining its business model for the local Southeast Asian market, they spent several years cementing trust relationships with mid-tier miners in Indonesia. Now, their trading token is atop the leaderboard STO market and has increased its market cap by over $5 billion this past week on very little volume, though. This is not something unique to security tokens. It happens in almost all illiquid sectors. And it happens even with the first cryptocurrency ever, Bitcoin. The most recent price action has been mirroring macro equities as they've seen a bounce, but there has not been a breakout of volume since its recovery at the blow of 18 dollars Many think bids are coming in from companies like Alameda Research, who have a vested interest in the success of the sector. And what they do is they artificially pump these prices higher and sell bids at a higher ask to get people to sell. Now, the question is, when there's a macro sell-off, will Bitcoin and Companies like Enegra be able to hold these higher levels, or are they going to sell off with the rest of the market? In typical times, when low volume pumps prices, sell-offs in other names also result in a sell-off in these names, especially when negro is up over $5 billion in market cap on less than $30,000 of total volume. But as always, time will tell, and I'll be here to cover it all. Have an amazing rest of your week, and I'll see you next Monday.
5: Wakey, wakey, welcome to Inside the Metaverse with your host, Eve Vankal. We have Honda in the Metaverse, and in its new marketing play, they are featuring new customized Fortnite maps where both streamers and players can challenge each other. The first iteration of Hondaverse will be called Parkour World and will be built around the 2023 Honda HRV. Next, we have Pringles hiring for an NPC position, NPC meaning non-player character, which is short for playing somebody to stay in a video game. Get paid, work in a video game, and the game is called Train Sim World, which is a train simulation game available through Xbox Game Pass. And the game is to refill vending machines. My mind is blown, let's go. Moving forward, Carl Yannick to conduct his presidential campaign in the metaverse. Sodium Space took to Twitter to announce the partnership Then they officially hinted that many more presidential candidates could look to organize their presidential campaigns in the metaverse. And to finish off, South Korea's largest convenience store chain, CU, said on Tuesday it is launching its alcohol brand on a local metaverse platform dedicated to connecting people that enjoy drinking culture. Yan, which calls itself the first corner of the metaverse dedicated to alcohol, provides virtual lounges for users to enjoy drinking with Metaverse entertainment, such as games and karaoke. That was Inside the Metaverse with your host, Eve Bankall.
1: Wow, another
5: great week of news, Kyle. And of course, a big shout out to
1: John Pittman for his last episode on the show. Of course, he's gonna be doing many other amazing things within STM and within the security token industry. But now Kyle, as you like to say, one of our favorite parts of the episode is our Companies of the Week segment. This is where Kyle and I, we each choose a company that we thought was making the biggest moves in the space last week. We wanna give them a spotlight as a result. Kyle, who did you pick episode 148?
0: Episode 148, I have to go with Nomura. Nomura is one of the largest banks in the APAC region. They made our top five this week because alongside SBI, they're going to be actively investing in the Web3 space and they're not afraid of tokens. They see the blockchain and tokenization technology as a means to getting exposure into the Web3 world and they are not going to back down if that's the only opportunities they have to invest in the space, not to mention the fact they've already invested into equities into many different startups that are leading the way in this technology so they are doubling down on the blockchain sector and that is just fantastic one of the biggest things holding back the security token space to date has been that lack of real serious institutional investor interest to help power that momentum and so them getting involved in the space i think is fantastic japan has been
1: awesome in that regard with banks like Nomura uh, coming together and saying, hey, we're going to bring the institutional best practices to this industry from the get-go, which I think has incredible opportunities for the Japanese and global security token ecosystem. Great choice, Kyle. Absolutely right. And how about you? Well, I got to give it to Britain's Investment Association, the BIA. Mm. Uh, In fact, they recently last week called out to regulators and the government to go ahead and give the green light to tokenized funds, citing that retail investors would benefit from access to previously illiquid and unaccessible investment opportunities thanks to fractionalization, which will of course lower a minimum uh, price for investors to participate, as well as the benefits of blockchain enabling liquidity in the first place, as we all know. So that's fantastic to see investment associations. This is one of uh, Britain's biggest to basically say, look, FCA, uh, the, essentially the SEC equivalent over there, saying, look, you need to create a framework for tokenized funds so that this industry can start to play and leverage blockchain and security tokens for you know, creating liquidity for previously unaccessible asset classes and illiquid asset classes. So of course, Kyle, they're preaching uh, our our gospel here. And so for that, I got to give them my company of the week. Security tokens are a global
0: movement. You see two choices here that are not US-based. I think a lot of people tend to think that this this channel or a lot of what we track here is only in the US. And as you can see, this is a global revolution that everyone will participate in. And these are just two more winners. Of and that. if
1: you uh, spotted that carefully, that's right. You can be a government, a uh, an organization, a regulator, even an individual, not just a Company to win this award. We'd love to shout out anybody and everybody who's making some of the biggest moves in this space. And with that, Kyle, I think we can jump right into our main topic. Let's go.
0: You've heard the term smart
1: contract before. I'm
0: sure on the show here, many times we've talked about it. You may have read about it, seen tweets about it. And in fact, it's actually one of the things that I believe is one of the most groundbreaking and innovative opportunities with the blockchain space and that is automating transactional systems and so with smart contracts you can essentially automate data and so blockchains track data really securely you can then take secure data and make conclusions behind it by leveraging smart contracts however as Twitter user JC Keane pointed out to us this week they have vulnerabilities and the fact that the blockchain is immutable meaning that you cannot reverse transactions, means that your automation better be right, and it better work properly or else people can get screwed. So today in this episode, we're gonna be breaking down the three main pillars for how smart contracts can be vulnerable and exploited as well as talking about what that means for security tokens, which, hint, is very different than what you might expect. So, Herwig, I'm thinking about maybe just outlining the three different types here, high level, and then we can really dive into some of the more technical pieces. I think that's of a great idea, let's do it. So, first off, for smart contracts, we're talking about inside of transactional systems. So, essentially, these are where money is exchanging hands. So, the first way the smart contracts really can get violated or or get exploited is on the economic side. This is essentially where cash is being moved from one place to another and it's being exploited, whether that's that's a actually like a bank robbery. But in this case, it would be the robbery of the underlying liquidity pool. Whether that means gaming the transactional system or whatever, causing the automation to freak out. That's trying to actually steal the money itself. Then you've got the technical component here, which is actually finding bugs in the smart contract that allows you backdoor access. And then finally, we have social engineering, which actually has nothing to do with the smart contract itself. The smart contract is performing exactly how it was supposed to. However, it's the user that's actually using the smart contract incorrectly, which then causes issues as well. Those are kind of our three main vulnerabilities with regards to smart
1: contracts. I think we'll break them down just so you have a clear understanding of each one of those. They do kind of have their own function. Uh, And without a doubt, folks, Billions of dollars have been lost or corrupted by these types of vulnerabilities. So pay attention for the crypto world. This is a real plague. It's a real problem. And it's a reality when it comes to operating in a Web three world, especially one as wild, wild west as crypto is designed. So the first one, economical, is is kind of the most intriguing one, I think, because Mm -hmm. the other two, they do come down to just kind of errors and flaws. Sure. Whereas in this one, it really does genuinely take take some ingenuity uh, to figure out some ingenuity to really be like okay this is how we're gonna you know fix the system uh, you know we've got a couple different examples of flash loans vampire sure. attacks you know, laundering anonymous funds without you even realizing it through lender pools and things like that. Right. You want to walk us through some of these examples? Sure.
0: So think about it. We, we look at it from the traditional financial system first, maybe to add some additional color. And this is kind of like how you have different individuals that can short squeeze markets or corner markets in the financial system or or be able to take advantage financially of specific setups. You look at the, the GameStop or AMC situation where people recognized, okay, we can force a short squeeze on these because there's so many outstanding that are short. If we come in with fresh liquidity at a specific investment mechanism and hit it hard enough, it causes everything to blow up. And in this case, if you're prepared for the blow up, you can capitalize
1: significantly, whether that means shorting it or going long on that explosion. So so in layman's terms, a little bit like, um, you know, financial opportunity or leveraging. Exactly right. Seeing a, a, a financial theory come into practice that if I do this, X will result to the price and we can take advantage of it through Y. Totally right.
0: And so we actually saw this in crypto in a couple different ways. The first way you mentioned I think it was great was through a vampire attack. Essentially what happened was Uniswap, which is the world's biggest decentralized exchange for crypto, which specifically means that you could trade any Ethereum-based token on this platform really easily, really cheaply. And essentially to incentivize that, they allowed people to lock up their funds to provide liquidity to trade so that there's always somebody on the other side of your buy or sell order because they were getting a percentage of every transaction that was happening.
1: Remember, it's decentralized, so they can't rely on an intermediary to go ahead and manage that. It's all in the blockchain, it's all in the smart contracts.
0: Exactly right. And so in giving liquidity to the system, you were given a specific token that represented a specific amount of Ethereum and the trading pair that you were signing up for. Essentially, another company called SushiSwap came in and said, hey, if you deposit that receipt, that LP token that you were given to us, we'll give you more fees and more rewards than what you would have been entitled to in the Uniswap example. A lot of people decided to do this, and then SushiSwap decided all at one time to redeem those tokens for the underlying liquidity, hence sucking millions and millions of dollars into their system directly from Uniswap, causing a lot of prices to crash and causing a lot of issues to happen across trading pairs as liquidity was sapped from the system and a lot of people were very successful in making a lot of money in this scenario. That is not a smart contract performing poorly. That is just a poorly engineered smart contract that was able to be taken advantage of by large funds. Because a lot of times, these smart contracts work in test systems where you have one trade to one trade, but when you load it with millions or billions of dollars, when that system is not ready for it, that's where you can start to see the stress testing happen and situations arise that can really present vulnerabilities.
1: And it, definitely another lesson around that was the fact that SushiShop was essentially a mirror copy of uh, Uniswap and was able to, again, as you pointed out, use economic incentives to go ahead and suck out the assets exactly. from one platform to another, hence a little bit like a vampire, makes a lot of sense. One other
0: one here is the flash loan attacks. This is essentially where you're putting up a amount of assets Assets in collateral so that you can get a loan and oftentimes if there are too many loans outstanding on a particular asset you could try to deflate the price in the short term but cause it to reach such a low price that a lot of loans get get called back or they get margin called, which then allows and changes the prices of other assets, which you can then take advantage of. So there's some of these other types of systems where you can try to gain the price of an asset that causes cascading problems for other people down the line. And then you're actually trying to profit off of those problems, not off that specific thing. So you'll invest cash here that causes some issues, which you don't actually realize the gains until three steps down the line, somebody else gets really screwed that you were prepared for and either buy the assets cheaply or are, you're already shorting the position and are hoping for that price to go down. And so, you know, sometimes these are considered shark moves. Sometimes these are not necessarily considered the most ethical moves because you're intentionally manipulating the market, oftentimes in a negative manner, in order to profit off of everyone else's having a, a really unsuccessful time. But unfortunately, currency attacks happen in the traditional markets all the time. Unfortunately, it's just the 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 whole goal of scaling and building a larger market cap and bigger liquidity pool
1: is to prevent against these attacks. It's not technical, it's economic uh, vulnerabilities that are still susceptible to the smart contracts in this case, especially because as we see in many of these cases, we're in decentralized situations. In fact, the last one that I'm not even gonna spend too much time on because we've got a whole episode breaking it down for you is of course the Terra Luna Mm. stablecoin debacle, which is another example of an economic inefficiency that led to the downfall of an entire stable coin and crypto backing that stable coin. 50 billion dollars, I believe. 50 billion dollars. So we're talking, again, billions in dollars of potential vulnerabilities. Go check that episode out. But that, I think, leads into our second example that you gave, technical. This is nothing to do with financial engineering, but more so with technical engineering to say, look, I've identified something in the code here that doesn't look right. And if I can penetrate that somehow, I may be able to benefit from that. Why don't you walk us through some of these examples?
0: Sure, so let's continue our analogy. If the economic hacks are kind of like us stealing from a bank vault, the technical hacks are almost like if we stole a money printer. So we haven't actually changed the amount of gold in the vault. We haven't actually stolen any banks holdings at all instead we're printing new dollars into the system that we're able to create and this often happens in the form of some of those other native cryptocurrencies so like for example poly network operated a bridge as well as wormhole operated bridges across different blockchains, specifically with Wormhole, they were minting what is called wrapped ETH, where essentially you put in one Ethereum and it'll give you out the same value, another one ETH that's redeemable on either side, but it's wrapped on a different blockchain so that you can transact using that Ether currency on say Avalanche or say on Solana or whatever, where ETH isn't a native currency because Ethereum is based on the crypto blockchain Ethereum and it is an ERC-20 token. So with this bridge, essentially you put you know, a, a token in here, you get the subsequent same token, but just wrapped on a different blockchain. The problem is that in some of these situations, if we, don't, if we can make the system think that we've put one in here and then it mints another one here, but we haven't actually de- you know, deployed the capital and we've gained the system by tricking it into thinking that yes, we have locked up a specific amount of assets, so print another one of the, the wrapped versions, but we haven't actually done that, we could then sell those wrapped versions for free cash and there's no nothing backing that asset and so somebody ends up holding the bag there and that's exactly what happened with Wormhole with 182 million I believe or something like that where there was a vulnerability in the smart contract that didn't require them to lock up their ETH and then that had issues. Similarly with Poly Network, it was actually 600 million, and this was contract calls specifically. So similarly, calling the contract, having it mint you things you weren't
1: actually entitled to. We see this happening quite a bit. Saw the same thing with Compound, which is mm-hmm. another very popular lender. They had their COMP token, which was essentially their native ecosystem token, and someone had figured out a technical vulnerability, where just as you gave in the other examples, they were able to mint essentially an unlimited amount of COMP until they were found out. Uh, And of course, you know that ended up messing up a lot of the value of the underlying currency. And last but not least, we've got the original uh, ICO, if you will, the original DAOs that got hacked for 150 million back in 2016. It's one of the very first ever fundraising Web three events. Over 11,000 people jumped in, put in 150 million worth of Ethereum, and somebody found a vulnerability in the code, was able to suck it all out. Worst thing about it was many of the members of the DAO vocally made it clear that there was this bug and it needed to get fixed and it didn't. So Mm. another example of just technical issues where within the smart contract, likely, fortunately, unfortunately, due to the developer themselves making an error in their logic or in the way that the, the, the smart contracts are supposed to function with the ecosystem tokens and various different assets. And then finally, we've got our third type of smart contract vulnerability. So if we
0: continue with our bank analogy, we've got the economic, which is like the bank vaults and you breaking in, being able to steal a bank's assets. You've got the technical side, which is the actual money printer and being able to hack into that and creating your own asset value that people then are buying on the open market thinking that it's legitimate. And then you finally have social engineering. And you can look at this a couple different ways. It's like someone stealing your online banking password, as opposed to, you know, dealing with a teller or potentially having a crooked bank teller that's operating. Uh, you know, on the behalf of themselves or someone else, as opposed to working for the bank. This is what happens when the user themselves is taken advantage of, which I think we can dive into some of the examples. This is really unfortunate. This is where people get, get unfortunately fished into making the wrong decision.
1: Yeah, uh, this is, uh, you know, most of the time happens after the fact that you realize much earlier on. You touch something, open a file or somehow receive some kind of malware. We saw during the uh, ETH Denver event that there was a notorious hacker going around. He had somehow penetrated multiple different wallets that had ownership to major top tier NFTs. We're talking Bored Apes, CryptoPunks, Doodles, VFriends, all of these things that were silently waiting because they knew that these wallets were slowly and continuously aggregating more and more quality NFTs and then boom, all at once they decided to strike and and stole hundreds uh, worth millions of dollars worth of NFTs, and people had no idea what they what they even did in order to go ahead and fall for that. It could have been signing on a transaction on the internet somewhere. There is definitely vulnerabilities in these uh, situations where people can hack you, and you just have no idea.
0: The the most wild one for me was reading this week. Ronin, which is the blockchain native for Axie Infinity, one of the largest blockchain-based play-to-earn games in the entire ecosystem, I'm sure you've heard of it before, they had a 600 or $500 million hack recently on their blockchain bridge between i believe it was ethereum and ronin but i'm not totally sure on that it could be totally different either way it's a cross blockchain bridge as we mentioned which is that technical component however this was not a smart contract flaw that caused the hack instead it was actually the fact that validators were compromised inside of the Ronin network. And how did that happen? Well, a Ronin employee was looking to change jobs, they were looking to leave Axie Infinity, and they they went through multiple rounds of job interviews with a fake company who sent this individual a PDF file with a job offer with which they opened on their computer, infected their computer, and caused the entire bridge to be hacked without anyone noticing until $600 million in funds were stolen all in one fell swoop and so this is an example of someone getting hacked and then that causing the situation where things collapse we see it all the time people's phone numbers get stolen which then they two-factor authenticate and steal your coinbase password and take it off of that that's not coinbase is doing nothing wrong there right they thought it was you and they thought you wanted to move your assets so this is one of those situations that is users being taken advantage of but then having no recourse because of the permanence of the blockchain which i think is a great transition into security tokens so let's talk about what what this matters for security tokens does it matter for security tokens does it not
1: matter and and how can we move forward of course smart contracts just like any technical code you always want security you always want it to function but luckily and you know you can't prevent vulnerabilities they will always happen human error you know we're not perfect but the reality is is thanks to security tokens there are more safeguards Uh, and so the route with this we have liabilities We have uh, intermediaries. We have laws that help enforce and protect your investment. So even though you have a security token that represents, uh, say, ownership in a company or real estate, that's not just all you have. You can't just send that and suddenly lose it because you mistyped the wallet address. You also have a legal subscription document that shows that you, the individual, invested in this and that that wallet is tied to you as an individual. Uh, You have methods such as transfer agents, intermediary marketplaces. They can't just go off and say, hey, we'll help buy and sell your token. They need to get licensed. And as a result of being licensed, they need to follow certain rules. These rules include protecting you and safeguarding you as an investor. Uh, They have mechanisms in place so that they can reverse transactions, freeze transactions. If you get hacked and someone steals your tokens, first of all, you're in a closed loop ecosystem. No one can just buy a security token, that's illegal. You have to have some kind of identification uh, and some kind of verification of ownership in that asset and that's tied to that token. And so therefore you're always legally entitled no matter what, if you will, have a security token. If somehow someone hacks your account, if someone hacks one of the intermediaries, any of that goes down, you always have the legal course of protections in place and many different providers, service providers, helping ensure that that's the case, isn't that right? Not to mention the fact that in order to transact with a
0: security, when you're dealing with an investment contract, any type of asset, you need to be KYC, you need to AML. So we know exactly who it is. So if you steal from me, you literally can't take the tokens unless you are approved and whitelisted and X, Y, and Z. So most of these hacks, what happens is they take the 600 million and the problem is that we can see which wallet it is, Where's it going? and so we can follow that trail very quickly. With crypto, they can leverage platforms like Tornado Cash, which tend to, to shuffle all the money around, and it makes it very difficult to track where that money is going. But that being said, with a security token, you just can't do that. We would be able to reissue those tokens because the permanence of the blockchain is not as relevant when it comes to transactional systems as much as it is the permanence of the data and making sure that the data hasn't been altered. But the transaction between the, the the tokens themselves and the investors, that's not a permanent situation. We need to be able to reverse those things. We need to be able to remove those funds from different platforms or from different users that got those assets in a a non-compliant manner. So this actually really doesn't matter quite as much for security tokens because of the fact that not only, as you mentioned, Herwig, all those safeguards and the fact that you need to be identified, but there is also the reality of the fact that most security token platforms that are actually transacting with these assets are still leveraging some of the traditional financial rails, which means that they're really not fully reliant on blockchain systems yet anyway, because they're trying to work through these kinks before we have issues
1: that happen. Yet another safeguard. And that's the key message just to conclude our show here. When it comes to crypto, there aren't that many safeguards in place, and there are numerous types of smart contract vulnerabilities. The economic type where someone figures out nothing to do necessarily with the smart contracts, but how I can game the system and the ecosystem to remove the value that's been created. Mm -hmm. You've got the technical, where actually someone's figured out an exploit, a vulnerability within the code itself to take advantage of that and of course remove the value from that uh, ecosystem. And last but not least, you've got the human error. Nothing to do with the smart contracts, nothing to do with outside market forces. This is just the vulnerability of someone making a mistake, having malware get downloaded, slipping a finger, doing this or that, and now suddenly that can be exploited. With security tokens, none of that matters. You've got multiple layers of safeguards by design To ensure that when you're making investments in this space, in this world, into security tokens, you've got the protection of regulators, of your government, of the different service providers that are required to make sure that it's safe to invest.
0: And that's our episode on Smart Contracts. Thank you to JC Keane and to the rest of the community. Anybody that gives us recommendations for main topics, we're certainly going to give it our best shot. We know. appreciate you giving us some feedback. Please like, subscribe, comment on the video. It really does help with us getting the word out, helping people understand everything going on in blockchain. And of course,
1: check out STM.co to get all the latest security token news, all the latest trading information. It's a one stop shop for all your security tokens. You can even submit news in the news section to actually see if it gets covered on our show. And of course, we will catch you next Monday. Happy tokenizing.